Hi, I'm Emily, and I'm majoring in psychology with a focus in criminal justice. I'm Vanessa, and my intended major will be business with a minor in astronomy. I'm Angel, and I'm majoring in biology. I'm Kara, I'm majoring in new media. I'm Liz, and I'm majoring in biology. We're all freshmen currently studying science communications in our first year seminar class. We are all interested in forensic science, whether it be watching criminal minds, documentaries, or looking to pursue it as a career path. Thank you all for joining us today. Go ahead and grab a coffee and settle in if you'd like. Get comfortable. Can corpses give testimonies from beyond the grave? Today, we are going to be talking about postmortem changes in the body and how these processes are involved in forensic science by discussing infamous court cases. The information and case studies that we are going to discuss show that if either rigor mortis, liver mortis, and algor mortis contradicted an alibi given by a witness, then it can be con concluded that that alibi is not true and further investigation needs to be done to determine a verdict. Decomposition is the process of something rotting or decaying. So when we talk about body decomposition, we're talking about that same process of decay but related to the human body. I've always wondered, how long does it actually take for a body to completely decompose? Honestly, Liz, there's no answer to that question. It can take three weeks or several years for a body to completely decay. This rate depends on a lot of variables, things like how hot or cold the body is, if the weather is warm or humid, or if there's water, insects, or other substances nearby. Any of those small changes could shift how the breakdown of a body happens. Right, but shouldn't we explain why we are talking about body decomposition again? Because evidence from body decomposition can be really valuable in court cases. Of course. So how exactly does it help to build a case? Well, to understand that, we first need to talk about the stages of decomposition. There are three stages. The first stage is rigor mortis, which is the stiffening of joints and muscles after death. The second process is liver mortis, which is where blood pools in different parts of the body after death. The biggest indication of this is bruising and discoloration. The final process is algor mortis, which in Latin literally translates to cold death, and it describes the decrease in temperature post-mortem. The first stage of decomposition that we'll be discussing in today's episode is actually the most well-known of the three processes, and that's rigor mortis, the stiffening of joints and muscles after death. The stiffening happens because of the chemical changes that occur in muscle structures post-mortem, during this chemical change, calcium ions are pumped through the body, which causes the muscles to contract and eventually become stiff. Rigor mortis begins roughly two to six hours after death, and signs usually remain present within the body for 12 hours. Between 12 and 48 hours, the signs of rigor mortis will begin to disappear due to a process called autolysis, which basically means that the muscles in the body break down and become soft. This occurs during secondary flaccidity, the second cycle of relaxation due to the digestive enzymes breaking down the proteins in the muscles. Where does the process usually begin in the body? Signs of rigor mortis usually appear first in the eyelids, jaw, and neck. This is because of differences in levels of lactic acid and calcium ions present in these body parts compared to the rest of the body. Over time, this process moves down the body and eventually takes over the body in its entirety. Scientists and investigators use rigor mortis, much like algor and liver mortis, and are able to determine the approximate time of death based on bodily stiffness. The content of the following case may be triggering to some listeners. 
Mentions of alleged sexual assault and murder are included in this court case. Listener discretion is advised. In the medical detectives, also known as Forensic Files, Season 8, Episode 10, Dinner in a Movie, rigor and liver mortis were used to determine what happened to murdered pregnant wife Ellen. Ellen and her husband, Ed, had lived in Connecticut for 16 years. Ellen was five months pregnant and her husband taught business classes at a local community college while managing a family business on the side. The couple always kept their house unlocked because they lived in a small, quiet neighborhood. While they may have seemed to have the perfect relationship to anyone who didn't know them, their marriage was unusual. Ed frequently encouraged Ellen to have affairs because he was having them himself. Ellen, however, was not accepting of it and remained faithful to her husband. One time, while Ed was on a business trip without Ellen, he began to notice that there was something wrong. She wouldn't answer any of his calls and she wasn't returning them either. After a few days had passed, Ed sent a trusted friend to go check on her, and sadly the family friend found her lifeless in bed. Detectives originally thought she could have been a victim of sexual assault because of the marks on her neck resembling her undergarments. This pointed to strangulation as a cause of death. Marks on her hands and fingers were also found which showed signs of struggle. However, there were no signs of forced entry, so detectives came to the conclusion that the murder was committed by someone the couple knew. Their theory was further proven by the medical examiners who concluded that Ellen's body temperature and physique presented signs of final stages of rigor mortis. This helped the medical examiners to come to the conclusion that Ellen was murdered during the day that her husband had been preparing for his trip. What was the true story then? After a thorough investigation, detectives concluded that Ed had felt threatened by Ellen because she was the main source of income and she owned the family business. They also discovered that before her death, she would frequently discuss her desire to divorce Ed due to his constant affairs and he was afraid that she would actually go through with it. Ed carefully planned the crime, killed his wife, and was then found guilty six years after her death. The contribution of rigor and algor mortis to this case is fairly clear here by looking at not only the body, but its temperature, which will be discussed in a little bit. Without the knowledge of these processes, the case would not have been solved. Rigor mortis was a spot-on indicator of Ed's schedule on the weekend of his trip because the times did not match up. The death was said to have happened right before Ed left on Friday, and the body's rigor mortis matched that alibi by estimating the time of death to be Thursday night or Friday morning. This was one of the greatest pieces of evidence that led to Ed's ultimate conviction. The next decomposition process is liver mortis. This process is described as the pooling of blood and discoloration at the lowest points of the body after somebody dies because of gravity. This process is used by the coroner to locate any physical injuries that cause the person to die. And it is typically easy to notice because of the blue-purple hues that appear shortly after death. This process can also be referred to as lividity. So typically, when does discoloration appear on the body? Discoloration usually doesn't appear until about two hours after death, but the pulling of the blood happens 20 to 30 minutes after death. The appearance of discoloration lets us approximate the time of death, right? And how do we know when blood pooling happens? Right, we know that pooling happens at the same time as the discoloration, but it happens in the skin's capillaries and in the organs. Also, discoloration patches are at maximum lividity between 8 and 12 hours after the death has happened. Again, investigators use liver mortis in cases to determine the severity of certain crimes and how someone may have died. 
They also use it to determine if the body has been moved from its original position at death. Signs of discoloration allow coroners to determine if the body was dragged or carried to a different place. The discoloration is caused by the deoxygenation of hemoglobin, the oxygen-carrying protein in our blood. This creates deoxyhemoglobin, which is purple in color. In the case of Ed and Ellen, liver mortis also played a big part in the conviction. This is extremely important in explaining not the time of death, but the manner of death. The blood pooling effect on the body produces bruising around the neck. Since these bruises showed up, it could be concluded that the strangling, or at least part of it, took place post-mortem. This would rule the cause of death as a homicide and the manner of death asphyxiation as a result of strangulation. Finally, there's albor mortis, which means cold death. After a person passes, they do not produce any body heat and in turning cooling mechanisms no longer work like they would if the person was still alive. This means that their body temperature slowly reaches the temperature where, of where the body is at the time of death. Investigators also use Albert Mortis to estimate the time of death and how long it had been until the body was found. What's really interesting to me about Albert Mortis is that the process doesn't start until 30 minutes to an hour after the person dies, because up until this point, the body's cooling and heating mechanisms are still working. This decomposition process is the first that happens, and like Emily mentioned, it helps forensic scientists because it provides very important information about what a crime could have happened, and its severity, and likely the time of death. Our Algor Mortis case study features both a homicide and a case of identity fraud. Episode 7 in Collection 5 of Forensic Files, titled Mistaken for Dead, involves four men, Dr. Boggs, the real Gene Hansen, Gene Hansen's business partner, John Hawkins, and the fake Gene Hansen, Ellis Green. Dr. Boggs and John Hawkins team up to attempt to pull off a scam to collect Gene Hansen's life insurance. The clothing company that Jean and John owned was going bankrupt, and Hawkins knew that the only way he would be able to stay afloat was by collecting Jean's life insurance. Obviously, Jean would have to be dead for that to occur. Jean found out the pair were planning on killing him, so he made John Hawkins the sole beneficiary and fled to California. Eventually, this led to Hawkins working for Dr. Buzz to find Jean Hansen lookalike. They found a man named Ellis Green at a gay bar, and planned to suffocate him while manipulating an EKG to make it look like Gene Hansen died of a heart attack. The biggest flaw that was made was that once Dr. Boggs had faked the med medical records and killed the fake Gene Hansen, who was really Ellis Green, he waited too long to call and report Ellis Green's so-called heart attack. So when the call was placed to 911, he was already dead and had been dead for a few hours. When paramedics arrived, they noticed that the body was too cold to have died in the time from the call until paramedics arrived on scene. Ellis Green was killed sometime after 12 p.m., but the call was not made until 7 a.m. The paramedics and first responders opened the investigation up more to figure out what actually happened while Ellis Green was in Dr. Box's office. It could be inferred that the Hawkins and Dr. Boggs could have been having an affair due to a large amount of explicit items found in Dr. Boggs' office. While these are just allegations, Boggs was known to engage in non-consensual activities with patients. We'll leave the use of these items to our viewers' imagination. 
This also told them that there was more to the story they were not being told. After the body was declared dead, John Hawkins collected Jean's life insurance and fled, to, fled the country. While John fled the country, the investigation continued and an autopsy was conducted. This provided that yes, Ellis Green did in fact die of a heart attack due to the manipulated EKG, but he was actually suffocated by a pillow. He had been dead for five to six hours before the call was placed, making Dr. Boggs guilty of killing Ellis Green, the fake Jean Hansen. After bringing in Dr. Boggs and noticing that John Hawkins had collected the life insurance, the elaborate scheme made sense and the police just had to find and arrest Jean Hansen and John Hawkins for the murder of Ellis Green. If the body had been a warmer temperature upon the medical team's arrival, Dr. Boggs and John Hawkins would have gotten away with the murder of Ellis Green. Instead, Boggs and Hansen were charged with conspiracy to commit murder and insurance fraud and sentenced to life in prison. John Hawkins was convicted of the same crimes, but was sentenced 25 years to life. Algar Mortis contributed to the conviction of Dr. Boggs, John Hawkins, and the real Jean Hansen because it was revealed that Dr. Boggs' cover story did not match the time that had elapsed since Green was killed. The fact that the phone call to the police happened at around 7 in the morning, but the body temperature of the dead male showed that the corpse had been dead for 5 to 6 hours, just shows that his testimony was far from true. In this case, the temperature of the corpse showed the inaccuracy of the situation and called for a more in-depth investigation that ultimately led to the arrest of all three men involved. The significance of Algor, Lover, and rigor mortis in forensic science is clear through exploring these three cases and many more. The bodily processes give clues as to when the body was found and what postmortem changes it went through after the crime was committed. They tell us how the crime was executed and what happened during the crime, such as if the body was thrown or dropped, if there were marks that indicate strangulation, if there was a struggle, and if there was drastic temperature changes in the body. These three postmortem processes are significant because they allow medical teams to figure out who committed the crime and what sentence needs to be given. Not to mention that these concepts are an important thing to take away with you. We hope that you learned more about science through this podcast from a forensic standpoint. Scientific literacy is so important as it will keep our forensic science conversation going. A very important aspect of solving a crime is witness testimony. If more witnesses are informed about rigor mortis, liver mortis, and algor mortis, then it is possible for better tips to be sent in and well-educated testimonies to be shared. As we've learned in this episode, corpses really can tell their stories from beyond the grave. Thanks for joining us.